Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, Episode 476. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so happy to have you here. But today I want to welcome our guest, Kim Trosper, who is a woman's empowerment coach from Sassy Woman Coaching here with us. Before you jump in though, Kim, because I'd love for you to give a better introduction. Listeners, you know, positive productivity is not about perfection. And some days we have lawnmowers on the podcast. So just bear with us and enjoy the content. But Kim, welcome. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you so much, Kim. I'm glad to be here. I'm excited. Oh, you are so welcome. Kim, I would love if you would share your journey as to how you got to where you are today with the listeners, because you know your story better than anybody else. Sure. Well, I am a only child and I, I grew up um, not having to share with anyone. And so um, I got kind of labeled selfish, which, you know, in society is not a good thing, but I actually um, embrace that title. <laughs> I need to know more. And I'm I'm thinking only child. I'm trying to think about which one of my kids I could handle as an only child. And I don't know how I would do it. Yes. Sometimes I think it might be easier with five. Yes. Yes. So how did you embrace it? Actually, I enjoyed being the only child. I mean, I didn't know anything else. So me personally, I have three children. And it's funny because I was a stay at home mom. And when my kids, they're two years apart. So when they would argue and fight, I thought something was wrong. I was like, oh, my God, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with these kids? And people said, "Um, that's what kids do. That's normal. But I didn't know that because I didn't have a brother or sister to fight with. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So but I'm going on. So uh, I got married at right at like 19 at an early age. And like I said, selfish was a big thing for me. And growing up, my mother... Her philosophy was that kids were to be seen and not heard. So um, I will say, fortunately, I was always an outspoken person. But, um, you know, there was times I was always told that, you know, maybe I wasn't told, but it was insinuated that my opinion didn't matter because I was a child. And so that it never felt right to me. You know, I'm like, I'm a human being. Um, If I want something or don't want something, I should be able to say it and speak up. But, you know, that's that's not how I was raised. So as I got married and, you know, had the the label of being selfish, I really, you know, it's about finding balance, because in my early 20s, I felt like I wanted to uh, give back and serve humanity. And so I started doing volunteer work. And so in my mind, somebody that's selfish wouldn't be doing, you know, free work. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So um, I started working with um, children and um, I became a foster parent and I was doing work with the homeless. So I've always, you know, I don't say always, but in my early 20s, I just started enjoying helping people. So as I became a foster parent, two of my three kids are adopted. So my my, uh, middle child, I got him right from the hospital when he was two days old. Wow. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we didn't know any of his background. So uh, we came upon some challenges. He had a normal uh, child, you know, hood. He walked, he talked everything until he was five years old. And then when I put him in school, okay, (laughs) things changed. Uh (laughs) 
So he starts, you know, having some difficult behaviors and he ended up getting diagnosed at the age of six with bipolar disorder, oppositional defiant disorder, ADHD, a lot of things that I felt like, hey, this is a child. You know, I'm not putting them on medications, any of that kind of stuff. So that's when I started on my uh, journey of finding out, um, you know, on a natural level, like I would give him, because I didn't put him on medication, I would give him natural remedies, homeopathic, you know, so those type of things. So as time went on, um, things got a little bit rough. So, uh, you know, the it was just difficult with his behaviors and, and it was kind of, I, I couldn't handle him anymore. So along the journey, I had to keep my sanity. So that's when I started like meditating and trying to take care of me for self-care. Because, you know, as a, a you know a woman with quote unquote normal kids, it's hard. And sometimes we forget that when we're taking care of our uh, family and we're taking care of others, we forget to take care of ourselves. Oh, and, so. and I have to share with the listeners that in our off recording pre-chat, so that you really do understand what I was saying when I was saying that sometimes we need a weekend to recover from the weekend. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Listeners, I don't normally record on Tuesdays, but I had a splitting, just a migraine for two days last week. So I asked Kim if we could reschedule for this week. And so we're recording on Monday. And I realized this morning that I don't like having appointments on Mondays. I feel like Monday needs a recovery day from the kids that we so dearly love, but who run us ragged for the whole entire weekend. So you really do get it, Kim. I do. I do. So in self-care, you can use that on Mondays to recuperate. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So I have to ask, was there a breaking point when you realized just how necessary the self-care was? Or were you able to begin implementing it before you got to a breaking point? No, I luckily I was able to start recognizing it because, you know, we can't give from an empty cup. And basically with all his doctor's appointments and him getting in trouble at school and I had two other kids, it was getting difficult. So I knew that I had to take care of me before I could, you know, effectively take care of my children. So gradually I started with meditation and, you know, uh, I go on a silent retreat every year. And I have to say that to me that that kept me sane. That one week of unplugging kept me sane. (laughs) Absolutely. Sorry to keep on interrupting your story, though. You know, there's you brought up something. Well, you've brought up a lot of interesting things already, but I'm thinking about how people would consider you selfish and how a lot of women particularly. And I need to say women, especially because men don't seem to struggle with I'm just going to use golf as an example, okay? Hey, I'm going to go golfing after work or this weekend or anytime, you know, while you're sleeping, Mother's Day brunch, you know, whatever. They're going to go golfing. And it's not really usually viewed as selfish, but women taking time. And I just want to make it clear that this is not the case in my house. My husband would force me out the door if (laughs) physically do it. But, you know. I think a lot of women struggle with the fact that taking that time out for self-care could be perceived as selfish because we do forget to put our own mask on before taking care of others. That is very true. And so, you know, that's why personally I don't like labels because, yes, I was considered, you know, in society's eyes as being selfish. I had, you know, a child with mental health issues and different things. And here I am taking off for a whole week for just me. 
you know, I saw it as a necessity, Mm -hmm. but a lot of feedback was that, you know, um, why are you doing this? Your kids need you. And I didn't see it that way. I said, yeah, they do need me. That's why I'm going to take care of me. (laughs) Yeah. Kim, in 2008, I took a six day, 20 plus thousand dollar vacation in the mental hospital. So for any of you who are considering why did you do that? There's your options. Take a week long retreat or just neglect your self cares for so long that you have to take a six day quote vacation that cost more than, you know, Yes. Three vacations, three retreats yes. in the mental hospital. You choose. Yeah. That is true. That is true. Okay. So I'm sorry. I'm, I'm interrupting so much. No, uh, that's why I'm here. Just if you have questions or comments, please. So basically I started out slow, like I said, with meditating. And then I got introduced to the uh, silent retreat. So it just, you know, that was something I looked forward to, you know, because I was not having fun in life. You know, being a parent, I thought I'm trying to do a good thing and, you know, adopt two kids and and give back to society. But I felt like I was being punished because I had this child who for eight years from the age of five to 13 basically put me and my other two kids through hell. So at the time, I didn't know I was angry. You know, I didn't know that. I just was existing every day and doing what I needed to do. But um I was mad about it. (laughs) So after four months of therapy later in life, I realized that. But, you know, at the time I didn't know it. So anyway, as a lot of things happened during that eight year period from five to 13. And when he was 11, he um, actually tried to kill my daughter. Oh, my gosh. Yes. It was at night. He said goodnight to me. We lived in a three story house. So their rooms was on the third floor and I was on the second floor. And just as as sweet as he could be, he kissed me and said goodnight and went on upstairs. And my spidey senses, something told me, go see what he's doing. And as I went upstairs and went past my daughter's room, I heard like some muffling noise. He had actually had the pillow over her face and she was kicking and, you know, screaming into the pillow. And when I say that was, I mean, as a parent, as a regular person, but as a parent, when you see your child doing something like that to your other child, I can't even explain the horror that I felt. Mm. So after, you know, I grabbed him and threw him off of her and and I later asked him, you know, why did he do that? And he said simply he wanted to shut her up. And so we he had already been in and out of mental hospitals. I mean, sometimes, you know, he went three or four times in a six month period. So it was just ongoing, ongoing. So they, you know, they Eventually, I started reaching out for help. I said, you know, I can't handle this child. Please let me turn him in, give him up, you know, do something. And I got no help. They basically said, he's yours. Deal with him. Mm -hmm. So that was at the age of 11. So at age of 13 um, and and a lot of other things happen. And and as a parent, I've learned a lot of lessons. Sometimes we think we're saving our kids because he had a quote unquote mental health uh, problem. But I actually was I wasn't helping him. You know, a lot of times he did things to other children and parents maybe wanted to pursue it. And I would say, but no, he has a mental health issue. Please, you know, understand when really I should have said, "Okay, do what you have to do. You know, even though he had mental health issues, you know, I should have let him, I won't say suffer the consequences of his choices. But a lot of times, you know, I saved him when I I really shouldn't have. Right. So not necessarily suffer, but recognize Yes. Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah. Take responsibility. I mean, I don't know, whatever word you, you choose. Yeah. I wish I would have done things a little bit different. So 
at the age of 13, we were standing uh, in the kitchen and he looked at my daughter and he said, uh, right in front of me and my daughter, he said, he says, I'm going to go in the kitchen. He said, tonight I'm going to go in the kitchen and get a knife and kill you in your sleep. <gasps> and when he said that, you know, I just checked out. I was like, did, did I just hear him? Did he just say that? And, and yes, he did. So I didn't know. I wasn't thinking straight. All I was thinking was I have to say, you know, at the end of the day, I had to think, just, you know, do I have to sacrifice one child to save another? And in my mind, that was a yes. That was a no brainer. So, and I'm not proud of this, so please don't judge me. <laughs> no judging on positive productivity. Yes, don't judge me. But I knew that I couldn't have him stay there another night. And I had been reaching out for help and I was not getting any. So, and it made sense in my mind to, he didn't want to be there and I didn't want him there. So I told him to pack a bag. I, I would take him to run away. And that's basically what I did. And, you know, I, was it the best thing I could do? I would say yes at that time because I needed him out of the home. Mm-hmm. So he packed the bag and I took and drove him two hours away. And I don't know, I, th- I might've gave him 20, $25 or something. And I put him out the car and I left and I was okay with that. So I went home and my daughter was able to sleep safely that night. And I waited about three days and then I reported him as a runaway because, you know, obviously I had to, you know, is a child and he's not in a home. So the detectives end up finding him two days later from, through Facebook. He was using Facebook. <laughs> so uh, they brought him back and I explained the situation and there was still no help. They just said, this is his home and he has to be here. And in my mind, I'm like, no, he's done. You know, he's tried to kill my daughter once. I can't have him do it again. So they dropped him off. And as soon as they left, I looked at him. I said, you know, you're not staying here. And he was okay with that. So we tried it again. Now, remember, I'm not thinking straight. Right. (laughs) So, you know, it doesn't make any, it makes sense. It made sense to me at the time because I'm doing what I need to do to keep my uh, daughter safe. So. Uh, I took him and then I said, this time, do not use Facebook. Stay off of social media. You know, let's let's do this here. So I take him in another direction and I do the same thing. And and here's the thing, because I had discussed it with him and I, I said, if you get busted, please don't tell on me, you know, because I didn't want to like lose my other kids or anything. And he said he wouldn't and he didn't. So I have to give him credit for that. <laughs> but anyway, so we did the same thing again. And uh, this time when they called to let me know that they found him, I took my kids and left. We went and drove like five hours away and got a hotel because, you know, when they came to my house to bring them back, we weren't there. So bottom line is, speeding up the story, I was um, going to go to jail. Uh, they said if I didn't let him back in the home, that I was going to go to jail. So I came back, I put my kids in the house. I told a neighbor, you know, I told my kids, do not open the door for anybody. If I if I don't come back in this house, you know, they knew to the neighbor the neighbor would come and help them. And, and, you know, I had a whole plan. So anyway, I'm there with the detective, uh, someone from DCF and, the you know, the uh, police officer. And I'm outside and they actually tell me I have to let him in the house. And I said, no, it's not going to happen. Tell me to put my hands behind my back. I'm getting arrested. I'm going to jail. And I've never been to jail in my life. So I looked at him and I just said, if you ever, because I'm the only mother he's ever known. I said, if you ever loved me, help me. And so... It was a divine intervention. We were able, he got he got on the phone with a friend who mother said that he could come and stay there till we work things out. So that was a blessing for all of us because I was going to jail. My two kids was going to be left at a neighbor's and it was just going to be a bigger mess. So anyway, 
So that happened. She let him go there and I was desperate. So I started putting out the word I was going to pay child support for anybody that would take him because, you know. So anyway, I had a cousin in Ohio that a thousand miles away that said he could come live with him. I drove in there, dropped him off. And it was a 16 hour drive. I made it in 16 and a half hours. That's how fast I was driving. <laughs> I'm surprised you weren't arrested for speeding. I know, I know. I, I stopped three times for gas and used the bathroom and, and that was it. But you know what? On the way back home, it took me about 23 hours. When I say I cried, I cried. I couldn't, I couldn't drive. I, I, my tears. My, that day, my heart broke. My heart broke. I mean, I, it was just, it was just the worst thing ever at the time. Now, when I look back, it was the best thing ever because our lives changed so much after that. But bottom line is, so all these things were happening and I was trying to take care of myself, but the stress and everything, I know how, you know, people can get overwhelmed. So I, at that time I was in school to be a mental health counselor because I wanted to help parents who had children with mental health issues. Mm. Unfortunately, when I got my degree, there were no jobs in the area that I lived in to work with kids. So I was kind of thrown into substance abuse. So I became a substance abuse counselor for five years. And to be honest, that is a very, very, very hard field. But fortunately, I had been through so much with him that it allowed me to, you know, survive that field. And as I was Working with the women that were in there, you know, they would come in and self-esteem just done. They would hold a lot of guilt and shame about the things that they had done for drugs. So it was hurting my heart because I knew the importance of self-care because I had been through a lot and I had been doing things for self-care. So I started implementing, uh, it started out with Motivational Mondays and I would do, you know, groups on on because it's a depressing atmosphere. So, you know, feeling better and um, having a better outlook on life. And actually it became so popular. They was asking for it like more. They was like, we want more than just Mondays. We want more. So I said, hmm, I think I'm onto something here. So as time went on, I ended up, I started coaching actually in the, because uh, I was trying to move away from the therapy because nothing wrong with therapy, but, you know, traditional therapy takes you back through the past. And for me, the past was over. We live for today and tomorrow. So I kind of liked that aspect of life better than just, you know, living in the past. So basically, I stayed in that field for five years. And a lot of the women who were leaving were contacting me and they wanted to continue to work with me. Mm-hmm. So that's basically how I got into coaching. And over the years, I have just developed a lot of different tools and exercises that women can use that just helps transform their life. So that's what I'm really proud of. I just want to thank you, Kim, for sharing your story. And for listeners who are just like, oh, my gosh, you know, and just and and I just need to put it out there, Kim, who are just in disbelief and possibly disgusted. I just need to put it that way. If you've never been in the situation, then I would hope that you would not judge I was in an abusive marriage where I was being emotionally abused and my kids were being physically abused. And I personally went to the police on multiple occasions, but I couldn't take the kids because he would keep them. Mm. And they said that it was hearsay. I didn't have the kids. I could be feeding their heads with information. And in 2010, my only option was to just leave in the middle of the day when he had the kids or when, sorry, when he was at work. So luckily I had a couple friends who helped me pack up just the bare necessities and I was able to get an apartment. I got a restraining order, 
but sometimes drastic times call for drastic measures. Mm-hmm. And those drastic times don't necessarily provide optimal solutions a lot of the time. That's right? true. Yeah. So, I mean, people can judge me on my past. People can judge you on your past. But I'd say cut out the judging because unless you've walked somebody else's shoes, then you really don't know what it was like. And I can tell you, well, I, I can't tell you. I don't know what I would do in the same situation, but I know that, that the one kid who was threatening the lives of the others would not be in the house. I just can't yeah. imagine that they were making you bring him back inside. Yes. I just had to ask because I know listeners are wondering, and because I'm nosy, how is he doing now? Well, um, he's in prison. Oh. So, uh, yeah, uh, that was his path. At 13, when I dropped him off at my cousin's house, who my cousin was like six feet uh, two and 300 pounds, he didn't last one month there. He was uh, physically trying to... Uh, and that's another thing I have to say, too. We had physical altercations. And mm. I mean, it was just a lot. I mean, yeah. you know, this is a child, my child. And it was hard. But um, yeah, so he ended up uh, robbing the dominoes at gunpoint and doing a lot of other things. And so now he's in prison. And I do talk to him. And we talk a lot about, you know, of course, when you're locked up, you don't have much else to do. <laughs> so, you know, he apologizes for his you know, part. And I apologize for mine. I'm sure there's a lot of things I could have done differently. But at the time, you know, when you know better, you do better. But as a parent, I never, I was not prepared to have physical altercations with my child. I was not prepared for one child to try to kill my other. So these are things or situations that I was putting in that I, you know, could I have done things differently? Yes. But at the time I did the best that I could. Yeah. And that's what it could is we need to eliminate from our vocabulary. And the four months of therapy helped me see that I did all I could do as a parent. And, you know, it is what it is. And that just freed me. And that's one thing that um, I, you know, for a lot of women, we hold on to so much that we just need to lighten up. I mean, you know, society says so much. We talk about judgments, but society says we should look a certain way. We should act a certain way. And even with speaking up, like I said, um, for me, I support women in recognizing their self-worth because a lot of times we forget how worthy we really are. And also getting clarity on what you want and how to use your voice to get it because we don't speak up. You know, how many times has something happened during the day and at night you sit home and say, I wish I would have said this. I wish I would have done something different. But when you're able to speak up and handle that situation at that time at night, you can go to sleep a lot faster and better. You're talking about my first 30 years right there. (laughs) Because I would always just close my mouth. No, Mm -hmm. but it, it... one of my sisters, I have two sisters, one of my sisters always had to come back like right away. And there was no chance of me. And I, so I just stopped trying. I was like, I, I don't have anything. But I got to tell you, I have a 12 year old who is just so witty. And he comes back with things right away. And I I swear I've learned from my 12 year old. Good. Me. But no, I don't, I don't just, okay, that's partially, it's 50% truth that I don't just keep my mouth shut anymore. When I do yeah. keep my mouth shut, it's because, and this is how my husband and I get over arguments, is I really just need to, and we don't have the arguments, because I just need that time to think before I say anything. Yes. I, I'm sure that a lot of the listeners have experienced that when you say the first thing that comes to your mind, sometimes you wish you could rethink it. And then there's those times where you wish you just said it, because then you wouldn't be sitting on it still. 
Yes. Yeah. And it's about finding balance. And I still deal with that, you know, today is just having balance because I am going to speak up. But sometimes I have to think about what's the best way to do it instead Mm -hmm. of just doing it, you know, at the moment. So. So how's your daughter? I do want to ask that. And then I want to go back to you and your journey a little bit more. How's your daughter coped and, and grown? Actually, she's turned out fine and her and my younger son. And I have to say it's amazing because really I was in a domestic violence situation. It wasn't with a man. It was with my child. But they yeah. saw a lot. They saw the arguments. They saw, you know, the you know, she experienced him in her life. But um and once he left, it was like amazing. I got to actually know them because so much time was spent with him. I didn't truly know my other two kids. So all of our lives changed for the better. But yeah, she's doing fine. And my youngest are doing fine. And it was just uh, that was a just, you know, I can appreciate the experience that I had because it made me who I am today. But I am so glad. I was so glad when it ended. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But thank you for asking. She's fine. Oh, you're so welcome. So in, I know that in October 2017, you you attended the Les Brown certification and you say that it changed your life. Can you yes. tell us all about that and how it changed your life? Sure. Well, like I said, in the uh, substance abuse, I had been doing the motivational Mondays. I didn't, you know, I didn't consider myself a motivational speaker. I just was doing things that I felt would help the clients feel better. So I happened to see an advertisement for certification through Les Brown. And I've been listening to Les Brown since my early 20s. So that was just like a dream come true for me. So um, I actually was working in a boarding school at the time. And I signed up for the five-day certification. And the school told me that I couldn't go. I couldn't have the time off. That you know, And let me tell you, after dealing with my son for eight years of hell, I, peace of mind is priceless to me. So I've decided there will be no man, there will be no job, there will be no kids that will ever take that from me. So when they told me that I could not go, I said, okay, goodbye, turned in my keys. And that was the day before the conference. So when I showed up, I didn't have a job. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I didn't know, you know, where I was going. I didn't have business cards. I wasn't on Facebook. I just showed up and I won a spot. Um, on stage to speak for three minutes with Mr. Les Brown. And I talked about when um, I worked in the substance abuse, even with my clients now, that inner critic, that negative self-talk that tells us that we're, you know, not good enough, that we're, you know, overweight, that just all these negative things. It never tells us too often that we're amazing and we're phenomenal and we're worthy. So I got on stage and I did my three minute speech about stinking thinking is what I call it. And wow. Mr. Brown loved it. The audience loved it. For the rest of the time, they were calling me the stinking thinking lady. <laughs> and I didn't really like that. I was like, I, I was don't know if I want to be associated with that. that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, trust me, I didn't like it. And it's funny because Mr. Brown, I, on the second day, he called me. He said, uh, I think he, at that time he had called me Madam Stinking Thinking or something. And then I had a look on my face and he said, well, what's wrong? And I said, I don't like that title. And he took a few minutes of his time and he spoke with me and said that that was an actual honor that people would remember something that I said and associate me with that. So he says, I think I'm going to call you the queen of stinking thinking. And I said, okay, okay. I like it. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So anyway, that changed my life because I left there and I started speaking at weight loss groups at churches that just, you know, speaking took off. And then I expanded my coaching because I had been doing it, but it wasn't 
full time. Mm-hmm. So my life just changed and I'm starting group coaching because, you know, the women have been asking, you know, I'm only one person. It's only so many hours in a day. So next month I'm starting group coaching. And it's just been a journey that has been so satisfying because uh, I've seen the transformation and being on social media, which I had not been. I get so many messages on Facebook about how I've affected someone's life. And it, it just feels good because that's what I live for. I don't want to be a motivational speaker because motivation wears off. I want to be an inspirational speaker because when you're inspired, you wake up, you know, your days are just so much different. So, yes, that's how my life has changed. Now, you wrote a book, You Were Meant to Fly, fly being an acronym, first love yourself. But I want to ask, where's your book on stinking thinking? Because we could use that in my house. I, <laughs> I... He's in the next room, so I don't want to be too loud. But I actually gave my husband two books this morning by Joel Osteen. I gave him The Power of I Am and Think Better, Live Better. This is a struggle that we're both having. Listeners, you know I'm very transparent. And I've been struggling with my thyroid for some time. And they're playing with my medications. And it makes me really anxiety-ridden someday. And it probably, actually, now I think about it, it may have been to blame for my migraines last week. You know, when you're on medications, they can do funky things. But my Mm -hmm. husband has his own inner demons. I think we all do. Yes. They could, you know, stinking thinking. So I gave him those. But I think the message is needed. Like, eliminate stinking thinking. I I agree. Put it out there. (laughs) <laughs> I appreciate that. Yes. Well, I, I did the worthy self-worthy book because that just came natural to me. Right. And and um, I also like to support women and be in their authentic self. So in the free book that I give away, there is uh, three pages of questions that are designed that if you take the time because people are like, oh, my God, it's a lot of questions. But break them up. Ten minutes and nine answer two or three of them. But you really get to know yourself. And when you know yourself, it helps you know what you want. And then it helps you. It's just a snowball effect. Mm -hmm. So um, that book was very important for me. And I also wrote an affirmations guide because I do believe in the I am. So um, it's called a a little guide of big affirmations. And it has affirmations on love and happiness, joy, money, you know, health, just different areas in our lives. But and, and it's funny because I've done affirmations for maybe 15 or 20 years and I have them hanging all around my house. I mean, you know, I just, and now they're just, they come to me second nature. So I don't always, you know, it's easier when my stinking thinking comes up. I have so many of them that I have memorized. I can just replace them right away. But back in the day, I used to say them every day standing in the mirror and they, they just make a difference because when you think about it, we're affirming something every time it's either affirming something negative or affirming something positive. So the positive is better. <laughs> Absolutely. I have my I am A to Z worksheet. And I have a letter for each letter of the alphabet. I cheated on X and Z. I just need to let that <laughs> let that be known. But well, uh, what did that consist of? What do you mean you cheated? <laughs> well, I decided I needed an I am blank for each letter of the alphabet. So let's just use ABC. I am amazing. I am brave. I am courageous. You know, go down the alphabet. It just made it easier for me to remember because when my kids start screaming in the car after daycare because they have the hangries or the hungry grumpies, the the I am A to Z's are what keep me from getting road rage on the three minute drive from the daycare to home. Just got to be honest, people. It's real. The fight is real, only not as real as the battles 
for lack of a better word, that you faced. But yeah, so when I got to X, I said extraordinary, even though it starts with an E. Okay. And I don't remember what I put for Z. I think it was zealous, but I don't even know what zealous means. Or zany. Okay. It worked at the time, but I'll have to pull out my dictionary and look. But going through those when I'm having those those points of anxiety really helps. And then my faith is really important. So I'll pray and I'll use gratitude. But yeah, the mindset and self-care and just self-care physically and emotionally is greatly necessary. You mentioned that you were introduced to Les Brown in your 20s. I'm curious about that because I did not start my personal or professional development journey until my 30s. How were you introduced? Well, uh, that's a good question. I I don't remember. I just remember hearing him on the radio, you know, back in the day when we used to listen to radio. Oh, I know. (laughs) But um, because of the, like I said, the childhood that I had as far as uh, children were to be seen and not heard and the selfish, that was big for me. It was just like because I had a, a big heart and I still have a big heart, but I'm, I'm always about putting me first. And I don't I've never seen anything wrong with that. So in my family and, and friends and everybody, it was it was bad to be selfish. So for some reason, I don't know, I just started on a personal journey, I guess. But I just know between I remember Tony Robbins when he first started, you know, um, every Thanksgiving he would he didn't have a lot of money. But I remember him saying he took two thousand dollars of what he had and gave out turkeys and fed families out of the back of a truck. And now look at him today. So, you know, back then it was just they motivated me, I guess, or inspired me. And, you know, to be the giver that I am, I am a very giving person. But I'm thinking back to my college days, I was an interior architecture student. So to say I spent a lot of time in my dorm or in my apartment, I didn't care to work in the studio would be an understatement. But I wish I had been see this as a shoulda, coulda, woulda, that I would have been listening or watching videos like that instead of marathons of there was some show on TLC where they would do crazy things to rooms. Like I know that was inspiring for me because I was in interior architecture, but mm-hmm. I can only imagine how it would have shaped my life differently. But at the same time, I wouldn't have my two older kids had those inspired me to choose a different path. I mean, I could have them, I suppose, from somebody else, but, you know, it would have just been a different journey. But I I am a firm believer that our mess makes our message. So oh, that was the path yes. that I was supposed to take. And now now I'm sharing the books with my kids. I mean, I actually just a few months ago watched I Am Not Your Guru with my 15-year-old. Awesome. So, yeah, I think kids, even as young as elementary school, need to start being taught about self-care and mindset and positive thinking. Yes. And being... Uh, easy on ourselves, just giving ourselves a break. We're so, even if, you know, I tell people we all have done things that we wish we had not, or we would, you know, regret, but we shouldn't let it keep us stuck in fear and and hold us hostage. We have to let it go. And like I say, when you know better, you do better. So it's okay. Be gentle and kind to yourself. So. Oh, absolutely. I also do a daily podcast. I give one minute tips on self-love and self-worth. I'm on iTunes and uh, Alexa, and it's just, and it feels good to hear things like, you know, we, we're not told enough that 
you know, we say love, we, we kick that word around a lot, but do we truly love ourselves? When you truly love yourself, you set healthy boundaries. You respect yourself. You don't do things that are detrimental to your to your body or even to others. So there's just so much more to love than just saying, oh, I love you. I love you, which is, you know, what happens a lot. So amen to that. What is the name of your podcast so listeners can find it and subscribe? It's called the Prosper Empowerment Tip of the Day. Oh, fabulous. And they're one minute or less. And it just, you know, I go about self-worth, loving ourselves, self-esteem, just things that empower us to take better care of ourselves from inside out. Amazing. Thank you for what you do. And thank Uh, thank you again for sharing so much of your journey with us. Where can listeners find you online, Kim, connect and get to know more about what you do? Well, for my group coaching, which I'm really excited about, the starting in September, it's uh, www.sassywomancoaching.com. But if you want my free book or listen to the podcast or the affirmations guide, it's my name, www.kimtrosper.com. Fabulous. And those links will be in the show notes, listeners, which you can find on my website at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP476. Kim, I want to thank you one more time for being here with us today. This has been an absolute pleasure. Well, Kim, I want to thank you. And I really like your name. (laughs) Thank you. It's an awesome name, isn't it? It is. Three letters, but they're so powerful. Oh, absolutely. Yes. (laughs) And thank you to your listeners. I really appreciate you tuning in. Yes, thank you to the listeners. I would love to hear your feedback. I'd love to know your comments. So please head on over to the website, which one more time, thekimsenton.com forward slash PP476 and leave your comments. Kim, do you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you can share with listeners? Yes, I would say to remember that you are worthy. You are worthy to have, you're worthy to be, you're worthy to do whatever you want in your life. And remember, love you first. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level.